Hey y'all, welcome back on our journey through Exodus with chapter 17, verse 1, as they continue in the wilderness. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So Rephidim means resting place. So they're going to a place to rest, but they're not finding water. In verse 2, So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? So instead of praying to God and trusting in God and having faith in God and asking God to provide, they're just complaining and griping and testing God instead of trusting God. In verse 3, But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again, when you're testing God, you're grumbling to men rather than praying to God. And they keep grumbling again to Moses and they blame Moses instead of seeking God and trusting in God. In verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. And Moses knows he can trust God and cries out to God. And he knows where to go for help. He goes straight to God. And he knows that the burden is God's. God's the one leading these people and directing their steps. In verse 5, The Lord said to Moses, Whack out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one that you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So God is with Moses. God is directing Moses. God is there to help. Moses just simply cries out and asks, how do I help these two million thirsty people that are will are ready to stone me? And they're... They're... They're frustrated, and I get it. They're thirsty. But they're going to the wrong venue for help. Instead of crying out to God, which is what Moses did, and he gets help from God when he does, they are blaming Moses, and they're complaining, and they're griping. And God has done miracle after miracle for them already. So they just simply can't trust God in spite of all those miracles that God is doing for them to help them learn to trust and have faith in God. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? And clearly the Lord is with them, because water comes gushing out, gushing out like fiercely, like this is enough water to, to feed the thirst of two million people or better. And they they all ate the same spiritual food and drink, and they ate the same spiritual drink, which is the rock. And just like he struck the rock and water came gushing out, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And when Jesus was pierced in his side, blood and water flowed out of him. In John 7, it also points out that also Out of his heart flows rivers of living water, and the living water is the Holy Spirit. And the living water of the Holy Spirit, he it gushes out into us, it gushes out before us, and it gushes out around us. And God is ever present in our life. 
God brings us to spiritual deserts sometimes so that we can thirst for him and thirst for more of him. And, and so we can turn and trust to God and have faith in God. And in our thirst, he calls us to Jesus, the rock of our salvation. And um, that is, 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 as we believe in him, rivers of living water flow through us, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit flows out of us. And the Holy Spirit is key to conquering sin in our lives and helping others around us. And it's that continuous flow of that living water of the Holy Spirit, which comes from the rock, which is Jesus. In verse 8, while the people of Israel were still at Rephanium, The warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek's generation after generation after generation. So the Amalek people are Esau's descendants and Esau represents the flesh as well as his descendants. And the flesh attacks when we're tired, the flesh attacks when we're down and the flesh attacks when we're weak in spirit. And victory is found by God's spirit. And Jesus steps in and makes a difference in the battle. Jesus wins the battle. God is fighting this battle and it's a continuous battle and saying generation after generation, there's going to be a battle of spirit versus flesh, but the spirit, God is going to win the battle against flesh. And one thing that I love about this story is, is the primary thing that I really love about this story is Moses' arms became tired and his two friends held his arms up for him so that his arms remained steady. Without his friends holding his arms up, he would not have been able to do it. And God could have just smite this army off the face of the earth, but God did it this way because we are not supposed to go through things alone. We are not designed to go through battles alone. We are designed and God wants us to lean on each other. God wants us to hold other people's arms up for them and be willing to let other people hold our arms up for us at times as well because we're going to need it in life. This is a unity that is pictured in this war. It's a community and it's a united front with the power of God in them. They do this together, not alone. 
In chapter 18, verse 1, Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife, Zipporah, and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Moses' first son was named Jershom, for Moses had said when the boy was born, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. His second son was named Elizer, and Moses said, The God of my ancestors was my helper. So Elizer means helper, and Gershom means foreigner. He rescued me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses, saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So word is spreading what God is doing, and that's why our testimony is so important. We need to tell others what God's doing in our lives, and that spreads the word, and they want to come and see what God's doing. They want to come and see the report. So they do, and Moses always acknowledges that God's hand is that place. And he's so humble and he puts God first in everything. And he acknowledges God is his helper in everything. Even in the naming of his second son, he names him basic, God is my helper in chapter or verse seven of chapter 18. So Moses went out to meet the father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked each other about each other's welfare and then went into Moses's tent Moses told his father-in-law everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel, and he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. So God's work brings Moses' testimony and Jethro is renewed in his faith in God. In verse 12, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. So he shared all that God had done and gives God all the credit. And they have this ceremony just rejoicing and praising God. In verse 13, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning until evening. Then Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, and he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? So his father-in-law gets a picture of what Moses' day-to-day life looks like, and he sees that Moses is wearing himself out. In verse 15, Moses replied, Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees, and I give them his instruction. So Moses is responding to the needs of the people instead of God. The need is endless. Our needs are endless, and they're not going to tell you when to rest. Our needs will not say, Hey, let's rest. And he's trying to help everyone, and it's going to frustrate himself 
in them. And that's what happens when we just focus on needs, needs, needs all the time and don't stop to listen to God. Needs are never ending, but we need to pay attention and listen to God to see where God wants us to help and how he wants us to intervene. In verse 17, this is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You are going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the, per- the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who who returned to his own land. So Moses humbly takes the advice of his father-in-law, and it serves him well. This is wisdom. Moses is trying to fill the needs of two million people. And he's trying to do it himself. And his father-in-law is like, dude, you're going to wear yourself out. Let's stop and evaluate this. And he gives him really good advice. And Moses humbly accepts that. And it does help this issue. And a leader should always pray, teach what's right, show them how to live right, and delegate things out to capable people who trust God. And that is the end of chapter 18. So we will continue on this journey tomorrow. I hope you all are having a most wonderful day.